Welcome to Family Business Insights, the official podcast of Family Business United, with me, your host, Paul Andrews, where we're looking to get behind the scenes of family firms, address the challenges they face, and discuss the matters of importance to the family business community around the world. I'm delighted to be joined in the studio this afternoon by Sean Steele, who many of you will know. Um, Sean has a long history in family businesses, but I'll let her do her introduction. Sean, welcome to the studio. Lovely to be with you, Paul. Thank you for inviting me. Um, yes, as you say, Paul, fam- family business is kind of what I've done for the last 30 years or so. I started my career um, in East Anglia, um, focusing on tax, and it quickly became apparent that East Anglia is rich with family businesses. And so really just by virtue of, of having the opportunity to interact with lots of them, I started to understand better the opportunities they have, the challenges they face. Um, I joined PwC in 1999 and in, in the time that I was with PwC, I had the pleasure of being the family business network leader for PwC in the UK. What does that really mean? It means making sure that big firms like PwC understand um, what's special about family businesses, what special services they need, how to best interact with them and crucially how to import, you know, sort of support such an important sector. Um, I guess I guess the, the natural flow for me then was having left PwC a year or so ago to go to go the other side and work on the coalface. And so for the last year or so, I've been working with family businesses on a more hands on day to day basis, either um, joining the board or providing consulting services or support. And actually, it's been a really fantastic learning curve. It must have been fantastic. We'll come on to that, Sean, as well. But it must be fantastic to see both sides of the sort of both sides of the fence. Yeah, it really, you know, and to be honest, it's actually really different. And I wish I'd done it sooner. <laughs> oh, bless you. But your role at PwC, if we just go back to that, not only you were involved in the UK, your role took you around the world, didn't it? In terms of understanding cultures and some of those cultural influences on family firms. Yeah, I mean, what an absolute privilege. So um, you're right, I've spent time um, working with family businesses and family business teams around the world. Um, I was part of the advisory board for the Family Business Centre at PwC, um, based out in Singapore, but looking across the Asia-Pac region. Um, And it's fascinating because we tend to talk about cultural differences um, on, a, on a sort of regional basis, but what I found spending time in Asia was that it's but it's much much more than that. It's a much richer tapestry. You know the kind of um, cultural um, impacts for family businesses based in you know um, in in India compared with those in in Vietnam will be different again. You know when you look at Europe, it doesn't surprise us that you would see different traits in France or the UK or or Germany. Um, you definitely get that coming through in in Asia. Um, and I think, you know, interesting, similarly, big cultural differences between places like Canada and the US. So just an amazing opportunity to, to, to see. And indeed to see economies at really different stages of evolution. Um, so, of course, of course, there will be differences. But yes, a very, very rich tapestry. And a fantastic experience and obviously a lot of value that you can add through your experience to the to the family firms that you're now working with um if we look at the uk in particular i guess there are about six million family firms and, and employ about 12 million people so that the family firms in the uk really are a force for good aren't they 
Oh, absolutely a force for good. And I always think that the there's, there's a, I'll probably get the numbers wrong, but there's a there's a stat about the number of businesses in the FTSE 100 who will be there in 100 years time or were there in 100 years time. You know, they, they, they come and they go, they get big, they break up, they get swallowed up by other organisations. You just really don't see that happening in the same way in the family business space. And so the continuity um, the, the, the strength of values, the continuity of employment, the impact in, in kind of places, you know, physical places where, where these businesses are based is enormously significant. So, yes, definitely a force for good. And, and we've already seen that in the past year come to the fore, making a real difference locally and nationally in, in terms of, of supporting the COVID effort, but also just supporting families and their workforce um, through what's been a really difficult period for many. Yeah, you're so right. And there were some fantastic, um, fantastic stories, you know, and, and I loved the fact that it felt like a war effort and you'd got family businesses coming forward to respond to the COVID crisis who, who reflected on the fact that, you know, it was their generation's turn, but, you know, that, that their grandparents or their great grandparents had similarly stepped up, you know, as part of war effort. So I think that really... Um, it really gave people an opportunity to show what values look like when you put them into action. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Sean. What do you think makes family businesses special? Oh, it's a really interesting question, isn't it? I was I was thinking about um, the ones that are successful, um, some of the families that I've worked with. I think that the, I think that but, but it's but it's interesting. I think that their focus on continuing to be entrepreneurial is really, really interesting. So I think that what you see is family businesses who strive to reinvent themselves in order to remain relevant, because otherwise you run the risk that it will be on your watch, you know, that the, that the business fails or or is less successful. So I think that you do you do kind of get this, you know, um, generation by generation sort of competitiveness um, and the need to reinvent. But I, but I guess at a practical level as well, you know, families get bigger. And so family businesses need to continue to be successful to support more mouths. So, um, yeah, I guess there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a real driver and a, um, a, a, and a, a, a striving for success and making sure that, that you're doing a great job. Mm. I mean, that makes sense as well. And, and often you see that, that these family businesses, they take a long term view, don't they? they're investing for the long term. It's not about short term gain. Yeah, totally. Pa- patient capital, the ability to um, make decisions. I, I was I was talking to somebody the live client situation where um, we we were trying to we were trying to really unpick the different roles in a family business to make sure that. Um, you know, that the focus of attention and time was in the right place. And in reality, you know, lots of lots of family businesses will have, you know, a family council or some place where the family come together. And that's the place where you can look at the long term horizon. You know, you've got your you've got your your board of directors who are looking at the, you know, probably the kind of three, three to seven, three to ten year strategic play. And you've got your executive team who are delivering you know in in the short to medium term but having a really well organized um, family leadership so ownership ownership group at the top really allows that long-term strategic thinking to happen 
Um, and and I and I guess you know to make sure that it's catering for the changing needs of the family. So I think that governance piece plays an important part. But you're right, the the, the patient capital approach is is um, significant and impactful in this space. Yeah, and you, you you mentioned strategy there from a family perspective, but I guess. One thing we talk about a lot is that family business owners say they just haven't had enough time to focus on their business and they're doing the day-to-day. And I guess in the past year, whilst the day-to-day has been really crucial in terms of survival, they have had a little bit more time to stop and reflect and focus on the why and the strategy for that business going forward, haven't they? So maybe had more time to, to think longer term and put the right practices in place today for tomorrow. I, I think you're right. And I think actually um, it's it's made it's made some businesses really question that you know it, it, is this right is it right that yeah. we carry on you know what 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 really what really is the purpose for us individually of what we're doing and um i think already saw um a huge amount of focus in the in the family business space around values and vision but the but the purpose for the, the why are we doing this piece um has certainly been conversation happening um much more often um and and it and it is crucial and i and i think when you when you have family businesses who who are thinking about the why are we doing it but one of the bits i love is is that that question has so many layers so it might be Mm -hmm. why am i personally doing it it might be why are we as a family doing this is this for jobs is this for dividends actually always one of the areas that you come to is um, actually, the why we're doing it may be about um, employing people locally, providing um, you know conti- continuity in the in the areas where businesses and families are based. That kind of commitment to the places um, is is really crucial. So people people in family businesses, in my experience, are always very very mindful of the of the the role they play in local communities. So, yeah, so what you're saying is the purpose is much bigger than the I question. It's not just yeah. about you personally, it's about the broader impact. Um, absolutely, on the absolutely. And I, and I think actually what, what you're seeing through the COVID pandemic is that, is that people who maybe would have just made you know, quick decisions to use large retailers, for instance, or, or large providers of anything, actually actually have really noticed that there's a difference in the way that businesses behave and and the sort of you know the, the focus on buying local the focus on engaging local using smaller providers um i i think there's been a bit of a sort of societal shift um and i think that you know there's this sort of feeling that there are groups of groups of people and businesses that have gone above and beyond to provide for us all through this period of crisis and that actually we should we should you know sort of return the favor we should we should we should show our our, our loyalty to those to those businesses across multiple sectors um, and i i think that that will be you know a, a, you know a, even more of a force for good um, and long long may it continue yeah, I agree. That I also think the positivity of that engenders into the communities. You look, you look at some of the businesses that I know you've worked with, and some of the mm. oldest family firms in Britain. It, they haven't actually moved very far geographically from where they were founded, so they they have roots that are really solid in those communities, aren't they? So it's really nice to see them giving back even more than they would normally do over the past period. Oh, totally agree, Paul. And actually, and actually, as you were saying that, I was thinking, I I can't think of very many I know that have 
that have moved they might have expanded and and added to different locations but i think i think yeah. um, mo most of them you know ha have their founding community at their heart yeah and their history and their heritage is entrenched in that local area isn't it and the people totally. you obviously see generations of staff generations yeah. of families that have worked for them as well so a big footprint totally totally there's a lot of talk around succession planning as, as being the biggest issue. And I'm not denouncing that succession is not a big issue for family firms. But what do you see in reality as being the biggest challenges that you see on a daily basis for family firms to address? <laughs> succession. No, I, 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 take, <laughs> I take your point. I, I do. I do think I do think that it is very challenging. And I think that um, what, what I've realised um, when when you're perhaps more engaged on a day-to-day -day basis is that the the succession piece is like a you know it's like a game of chess and um you know you can make kind of quick decisive quick decisive moves it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the right that's the right approach or you can take you know hours and days and weeks and really think through the Implica implications of every move that you're going to make I think there's probably a, a happy ground in the middle somewhere but it but it is hard to do yeah I think I think the other challenge though in all seriousness is this point around what what you need the business to provide for a family and how you how you manage um, the growth within a family group um, and the challenges that brings. So it could it could be that that challenge around, um, you know, the financial provision and whether you're enough to continue to provide for your shareholders in, mm. in the manner that, in which they've, they've become accustomed or or actually, you know, the, the other piece of that um, growth in family is, you know, how do you how do you manage your your shareholdings so that the so that the so that the shareholdings remain relevant and crucially that you know the board the board is able to engage in a in a sort of practical way rather than having you know a vast number of minority shareholders so um i think i think that sort of concentration of ownership and increase in family members is um is, is tough actually tough to manage yeah, I, we, we've all seen that. And actually, it becomes part of the bigger conversation, doesn't it, in terms of, of just general governance of the family, but governance of the business and how the two interact. Yes, totally. And 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 I think the, um, you know, the reality is it's not like it's not like playing a computer game where you where you get through mm -hmm. one bit and you move up to the next level. Yeah. This is constantly evolving and relationships change, dynamics shift. Um, you know, I, I, I was talking to somebody the other day and reflecting that actually in, in that instance, the fact that we'd you know, put the brakes a bit on a governance project had been, had probably been quite a good thing that, you know, two years on people's views had, people's views had softened, children were older, you know, circumstances were different. There was a bit of different mm. perspective. So it's, it, gov governance is a, is something that should be a constant on the agenda and refreshing and reviewing it should be a constant on the agenda but absolutely crucial that you have um governance both in the business and the family yeah and i think the words i pick up on on there sean from you is it's, it's it needs to be constantly reviewed and evaluated doesn't it if you take the past year there would have mm. been a lot of family business leaders that were probably planning their retirement or to step down but with mm. the pandemic have got probably more hands involved um and the next generation have had to kind of step up mm. but also have taken on new opportunities to get their voice heard so the whole succession conversation has changed in the last 18 months 
Yeah, I totally totally agree with that. Um, and I and I think actually, um, you know, particularly when you look at businesses where you maybe have generational gaps. So what what do I mean by that? Maybe where where the um, the the you know the current generation are at a point where they're looking towards retirement. They're tired on the back of COVID. It's been you know we've been challenged in so many different ways um but but you know perhaps perhaps a gap before the next generation are going to be ready mm. um i think covid's had a big impact on that both both around um you know even simple things like where do people want to live you know do people want to live where they work will they be remote working you know mm. what career paths are they taking does that still look good in a post covid world you know is the business model still right so You've got lots and lots of forces at play here, and I think that you know, in order to in order to effectively succession plan, you have to have a really robust strategy, and you have to know what skills you need in order to deliver that. Because you, you know, planning planning succession just on a you know, I need another person to kind of steady steady the ship just doesn't work. You know, and on the back of COVID, what's really been highlighted is that you need. You know, you need people leading the business who who are very capable and who are very capable of adapting, um, dealing with pressure, um, in in a in a sustainable way. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I mean, an analogy I use quite a lot is the Jim Collins uh, people on the bus. You can put as many people on the bus as you want, but you really need the right people in the right seats to drive the business forward and manage that family dynamic in a way that that's beneficial to both parties, don't you? Totally. Yeah, and I think um, and I think that you know one of the one of the one of the things I've reflected on is that, you know, as I, as I said before, one of the one of the reasons that family businesses are successful is that they they're agile and entrepreneurial and they they're capable of reinvention. You know, the the the, the counter of that is that if you're if you're really going to be successful as you reinvent yourself and you change, then actually. Um, you know, you 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 quite probably need different skills, and that means changing your workforce. Um, you know, one of the things, one of the traits we see in family businesses is that they're very loyal to their people. And you, as you mm. as you said, you know, you do have these families that grow up within family businesses. I think that's brilliant, as long as actually there's a constant reevaluation of whether they're still right for the job or whether the whether the the business need is still met by the you know the skills what one of the areas that i think um is particularly challenging at the moment for 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 boards in lots of businesses but but you know you see it being more prevalent perhaps in family businesses because of the general makeup of their boards is you know having enough people with um skill and understanding of online businesses or businesses that need to act um, differently from a technology perspective or interact with customers or or you know other, other businesses um, in an online way actually tech technology skills are really are really quite hard to come by um, and I think making sure that there's proper engagement and um, you know that that's a recognition of what the component skills are that will as you, you know the kind of which which seats on the bus should there be you know which yeah. what, what, what are the designated seats and what's standing room um i i think that um that really needs some care 
I think you're right, Sean. And I also think it, it kind of then f- filters down into the rest of the business, doesn't it? Because we're talking about the skills of future leaders and leaders of those businesses, but actually it's the future skills of the employee bank as well, because it's changing, the world's changing so quickly. Oh, completely. And actually really, really um, making sure that you're, that you're looking at that over a sensible window, thinking about who's capable of learning new things, who wants to, um, you know, looking at the, 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 the mix, actually properly, properly diverse um, recruitment policies, um, but, but future-proofing the business by saying, you know, where are the areas where we're weak, where we know that there's going to be more to do, um, how, are we, how are we going to address that now? Um, it, it is, is essential, really essential. And we've talked about this before, but but honest conversations are really important. And I'm not talking just between family members, but actually just honest conversations about where the business is going. And I think in the past year with COVID, we've seen a lot more communication from boards and leaders directly to employees. And that surely that has to be a good thing. Yeah, I, I, I think that transparency and good communication are key in any period of change and any period of crisis. And so the businesses that... Um, the businesses that will come out of the crisis well will be those who, you know, have, have kind of done the stabilise and the strategize bit. But but in mobilising now for, for, for the new world, I think that um, the effectiveness of communication will be key. And, you know, the reality is I, I, I usually use football analogies, but I'll use a travel analogy. If, um, you know, if somebody said to you, do you want to come on holiday? You wouldn't you wouldn't be very comfortable just saying, yeah, sounds sounds great. You would want to know where am I going? Um, what what are we going to be doing? What do I need to back? Does that appeal to me? You know, you would actually do proper proper diligence. Yeah. Um, I think I think the same is true about giving people the opportunity to say, This is where the business is going, this is this is what we need from you. Um, this is this is what you can expect from us, this is where we're going to get to. And that conversation needs to be happening you know, in, in the first instance with the family to make sure that that's going to be right for them, but absolutely then with the workforce and particularly with the executive leadership teams, which may be, may, may well be a mixture of family and non-family. And I think crucially, particularly where you have um, executive teams where there's a mixture or boards where there's a mixture of family and non-family, it's so important to make sure that the transparent communication is happening in in the boardroom and not just around the dinner table at home um, and that you keep everybody that you keep everybody close and and, and focused yes yeah, so it's kind of gone full circle in the conversation we're talking about alignment of purpose and values and, and shared communication to make sure everyone's on the same page really aren't we yeah a- absolutely and and recognizing that um, there may be a difference between corporate purpose and personal purpose but just just giving people time and having that realignment and um, re- restating some of it, I think probably going back and saying, actually, you know, even if we'd done this before COVID or during COVID, what does that really mean now? Actually, mm. what 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 where where have we moved to on the back of this now? There'll be some sectors where, you know, the, the, the crisis will have been, you know, significantly more challenging people in in hospitality and um leisure you know i'm sure mm. that i'm sure that how they're feeling is going to be very different than if you're if you're in a, a, a you know an environment where you're where you're where you're retailing food for instance which has actually done very well in the in the crisis so i'm sure for everybody it will be a different place but i think the kind of 
if you if you follow the mantra of um, you go into the crisis, you know, stabilize, strategize, mobilize in the family business at the point at which you're ready to mobilize, you have to be thinking about how, how do we restate our purpose? How do we make sure everybody's aligned? That will make you really effective. Yeah, that's really sound advice, Sean. And if you look at the, the oldest family firm, so the, the oldest family firm in Britain, as we all know, um, Balsons and Sons in Bridport goes back to 1515 and is currently, I think, in the 26th, 27th generation. Mm. What, what helps family firms like that stand the test of time? Um, being entrepreneurial and reinventing themselves and making sure they're relevant, I think, is crucial. But there, but there, is, um, there is a reality, which is if you take a business like that, um, you know, if, if, if the natural evolution is an entrepreneur to a sibling partnership, to a cousin consortium, to a dynasty, the reality is that those kind of firms don't support dynasties. You know, they're amazing and they're really long term and they're um, providing great service in their community. But they're but they're not going to grow and scale in a way that's going to support, you know, 200 cousins by generation seven. So, so being clear, actually, there therefore has to be a succession policy, both in terms of leadership and ownership, that's appropriate for a yep. business of that size and scale. And having that conversation up front before it's, um, you know, be, be, before it's personal and difficult, I think is absolutely crucial. Um, I had a conversation with a couple of business owners um, a, a couple of weeks ago, actually, where um, they they had trimmed the branches, if you like, of, of the shareholding in, in the previous generation. And they're going through the discussion about whether they do it again and, and just continue to remain as effectively um, a sibling partnership, albeit, you know, generation four still being a sibling partnership. So understanding understanding the size and scale of your family, the ability to size and scale your business and making sure that you know you you have um, honest, clear dialogue about what what will be the right answer, um, you know, and and continually reevaluate that rather than there being nasty surprises and falling out later. Um, I think also really important. So putting the so having the conversations really and putting the structures in place before the problems come to light or potential problems come to light can can stave off an awful lot of conflicts and difficult conversations down the line can't it yeah and 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 i remember i remember vividly um pro- probably 10 or 15 years ago actually having a long long meeting with um a family business it, at that point was a was a um sibling partnership um it was four siblings and um they were about to embark on a big tax planning strategy to make sure that they could have the most tax efficient hands down of shares to the to the next generation and um they weren't they weren't massively aligned individually um and and the and the business was slightly was a slightly random mix of 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 activities really um and so we spent quite a lot of time on it and i and i asked um when we kind of reconvened at lunchtime, you know, what do the what do the next generation think of this? You know, are they all really up for this? And um, it became quickly apparent that nobody had asked the next generation actually whether they were really up for it. And and when we did ask the next generation, 
whether they were really up for it. The answer was absolutely not. The minute they're all gone, we're going to sell the business and you know and do our own things. <laughs> so um, you know, in seriousness, it 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 has to be it has to be a continual dialogue. But I think there has to be no presumption that um, that everybody's on the same page on a generation to generation basis. I think that's really, really good advice because you can do things in isolation. Otherwise, they're never mm. going to come to fruition. Aren't they? Yeah, that, totally. I guess just just one question because I I want to wrap up in terms of bringing this together from from your perspective. You you launched out into your new business at the start of a, a difficult year, or you didn't know at the time, but what became quite a difficult year. What what would be your big takeaways for the last year, and what do you think that would be the piece of advice you would give to anyone in a family business going forward? What should they embrace? Um, change is what they should embrace, Paul, which kind of <laughs> kind of captures both sides of it, doesn't it? Because, you know, huge, huge change, huge change for me. Um, so the the thing that I um, the thing that I have enjoyed most about um, this sort of new this new this third phase of my career, if you like, is I'm learning loads, absolutely loads. I love to learn. I love to be challenged. Um, and so learning um, is brilliant. Um, the, 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 the change actually um, is for me going from being, you know, part of an enormous organisation to um, being able to be part of lots of different organisations. And I really, I really um, love that variety. Um, but being able to embrace change is great. Crucially, I think for me, one of the things I've, I've had to really think about is um, how transferable my skill set and what I'm really good at and actually um, thinking really carefully about the people around me and the teams I'm working with and, and, and working out you know, what, what contribution everybody's making, actually, where are the gaps, what are we missing and being able to speak up. So my, my absolute advice to people running a family business would be, don't don't be frightened of change. Be that asking a asking a long-standing member of staff to move into a different role or indeed move on, or or you know telling the family that actually this might not be the thing to be doing right now. Maybe we need to embrace a, a, a new direction of travel, um, change our strategy. Um, but we, whichever way, learning to adapt to change, understanding the skill you bring, recognizing skill in other keep learning keep relevant and actually i think it will all all come right and sean that, that, that's fantastic advice and i know that's what you've done in the last year and and what you're really doing is effectively the family business model is that you're, you're trying to remain current and relevant to your clients to add value but you clearly love what you do i absolutely love it it's brilliant and um and i and i hope that this third phase of my career will be will be long and i'll get to work with loads more amazing businesses Sean, you're a star. It's so nice to speak to you. Thank you for your time today. And I look forward to catching up with you soon. So lovely to talk to you. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Paul Andrews, signing off. Join us next time for more insights from the world of family business.